Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron, and I'm here with Nathan. We are two therapists in Oregon, just excited to share more, um, to close up our series that we've been doing on the different forms of therapy. And I know in our intro, we said already that we are two therapists in Oregon. I'm repeating that because we're talking about the different types of therapy. We're closing up that series. This figure gives us a little bit of authority to speak to that since we are therapists and we kind of know what we're talking about. We do this all day long. (laughs) In case you didn't pick that up already from our podcast. Hope so. Today, we're going to close up the series by talking about the fabric of all the different current therapies, uh, a new popular theory called ACT or ACT, and we'll talk about a few other newer kinds of modalities or interventions. We'll kind of explain all what that is. For the why you should listen to the episode today, um, as we've been saying, all these different kinds of psychotherapy are, I think, just really helpful and informative for you, our listeners, for like what's out there. We want to give you information from a therapist's point of view, from like what we do all the time, just in everyday language about how these things can be helpful for you and how to know or pick between them if you're deciding, you know, I need to go to therapy or I'm trying to recommend therapy. I don't even know where to start. Hopefully this gives you a starting point. And then if you're already in therapy, obviously, if something is working for you or not working for you, maybe this gives you a better idea of what's happening. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's just not a great fit because you need a different approach or uh, you need a therapist that comes at it from a different perspective. And then obviously, we always want you to know yourself better in terms of how you operate, uh, what works best for you, what doesn't work for you, because that's what we're all about here on the Shrink Thing Podcast. So... To get us started, um, we're going to talk about the fabric of all current therapy and this new, uh, we'll jump in after that to this new popular theory that's out there. But before we started recording, Nathan and I were kind of talking about this, like how do we weave these these things in? I mean, they're, just, they're so like built into the cake, as people say that, like how do you even describe that as a thing? And Nathan, off the top of his head, just like launches into this thing. I'm like, whoa, 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 like record that in your mind and say it. So Nathan, let's rewind and push play on that recording. Go. (laughs) Oh my good Lord. Yeah. So, um, basically, you know, we've been talking about the the other major kind of theories out there that are still respected and still used psychodynamic CBT and IFS. And Really, there's been a theory that's been around for a long time that was started by Carl Rogers, and everybody now just calls it Rogerian therapy. But he became popular with the way that he did things because prior to him, all these theories that were out there were very medical and clinical. They didn't really look at people like, um, they looked at you like you were an ant that they were studying kind of a thing. Like, you know, I am doctor. You are a small person. I will fix. Maybe. If I feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) If you pay me the right amount of money. (laughs) And Carl Rogers basically, 
humanized therapy. He was all about how you actually connect to the person, and he believed that that connection actually was the change agent. And so now what's happened, there are some folks out there that, as therapists, that focus as purist was what we would call, like they do the Carl Rogers way of, that's the theory they use. But what's happened is, is that over the course of even a lot of grad schools, They'll just say, hey, look, we're coming from this perspective. You need to connect human to human. And they'll use some of Roger's stuff to be able to promote how that works. So it's really become a part of the fabric of everything that we're doing right now. The other one that's kind of become a part of the fabric is narrative therapy, which narrative is a bit younger than Carl Rogers. It's, it's more recent. And we say recent, like maybe within the past, like 40, 50 years, probably. Yeah, like, yeah. And, well, probably 80s, probably is yeah. when it, maybe. And if you look back in time, over the course of world history, um, tribal situations, and as people were just, you know, families on the trail, so to speak, or families wherever they are, they would tell stories about their history of the people that were there before, like their ancestors and that kind of thing. And it really helped you to understand where you fit into the family line and where you fit into the story of the humanity that you were around. And they developed this narrative therapy that, that basically does that. They, they thought, you know, if we could help people understand their own story, they could also edit it. They could also figure out how to change it. And there are therapists that are purists that come at it like that. Like, that's what they do. They, they try to think in terms of you and your story. And then they just try to read it, essentially, with you and then ask questions about those chapters and then ask a few Maybe you want to close a chapter and start a new one, and there's all kinds of technique that's involved in it. But um, it's kind of an agreed-upon thing that's there. But those are the, the kinds of theories that we needed to expose a bit more that we didn't go in. But also, it's like you don't really need to go into huge depth with these things. Because today, um, and Aaron's going to explain another theory to you called ACT, but today we're going to focus mainly on interventions. So and interventions are different than theories. And we'll get into that a bit more, but I'll turn it over to you, Aaron. Yeah, I just want to say kind of in closing that part up, you know, you were talking about um, these are just kind of built into the fabric and we don't really need to go in depth of them. I think it is important, though, for you, the listener, to know if you're looking for somebody who does have that like human to human approach or who specializes or has a great strength in that, I think that's important for you to know that there's a word for it or there's a term for that. That's called humanistic or Rogerian because the guy's name was Rogers. Um, that's important for you to know because some, frankly, some people out there really don't care about that. They're like, I'm here to like, tell me what to do or tell me, like, give me information about myself, feedback so that I can make some changes. And I don't really care about like that connection as much. Um, and that's fine. So somebody who's more like a narrative therapist or an interventionist might be better for you. So I think just want to kind of highlight that of the importance of knowing yourself and what you need if you're looking for therapy. You know, as you say that, there's one thing I would add was that the therapists out there that are purists when it comes to Carl Rogers, um, they probably are very similar as people as to actually Mr. Rogers, honestly. Um, actually, one of my old supervisor therapists um, worked directly with Carl Rogers. And she said it was like he just he was so present with you all the time. Like if you were talking with him, you were the only one in the room and he was there. And so people that are purists that go that direction really resonate, I think, with that idea. And 
as therapists, we all go, yeah, that's how we need to be in order to, to connect with people. But we might not want to focus as much on that. We want to try to talk about this or talk about that. So I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, thank you. That was That's helpful. So as we talk about this newer approach that's out there, it's called ACT or ACT, which stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And it, it's become popular maybe in the last 20 years or so, um, especially in the last 10 years or so. I think it's really picked up. It's just, I think, been discovered to be really powerful because it's so practical and it can be applied to so many different situations. I'm going to read as I was preparing for this. I was like, here's a great explanation of it. I could turn this into my own words or I could just read it. So I'll make sure I post this in the show notes. It's from Psychology Today. And it says, it's an action-oriented approach to psychotherapy that stems from traditional behavior therapy, which is like do this, do this, change your behavior, and then cognitive behavioral therapy, which we talked about in our first episode. You learn to stop avoiding, denying, and struggling with your inner emotions and Instead, accept that these deeper feelings are appropriate responses to certain situations that should not prevent you from moving forward in your life. When you have this kind of understanding, you can then begin to accept your issues and hardships and commit to making necessary changes in your behavior, regardless of what's going on in your life or how you feel about it. So you kind of get the idea that with acceptance and commitment therapy, it's really all about I, I guess normalization, maybe in a sense, um, I, you know, I don't really, I didn't really look up like where it came from, but I can see the trajectory of this happening more recently with like the, the normalization of mental health or the destigmatization of mental health, which we're going to talk about in a future episode. But this acceptance and commitment therapy is like, hey, you come into therapy and you think that something's wrong with you. You're having these like crazy thoughts or you're unable to manage these feelings that are keeping you from being functional in your life, and you're like, okay, something must be wrong with me. I, I, frankly, this happens all the time. People are having these things. They're coming in. I'm listening for you know, a couple of sessions, and I'm like looking for what the problem is, and I'm like, you sound like a normal human being. Literally, like you're just having feelings that you think are bad and wrong and you shouldn't have, and I'm like, no, that makes a lot of sense. And if you could just open up space to accept that this is the case, then you could probably look at things differently and operate differently. There's a great book, which I can't remember the title, but it's by Russ Harris. Um, I read it last year, I think, maybe a couple of years ago. Fantastic book that's very practical. It's based on ACT. Um, Russ Harris is this, I believe he was like an MD. He was uh, in medical school. And this is the beginning of the book. He's telling a story about how he, he came to write this book. He was a doctor and he was struggling with anxiety so bad that he even like failed out of like one of his semesters in, in med school. And he was like, I don't know if I'm going to continue to be a doctor anymore. Um, but he got himself together, worked through it and completed you know med school and then went on to deal with his issues, write this book about it, probably because he was very passionate about it because it affected him personally. But I just love that that story about somebody like a doctor is struggling with an everyday thing. And he realized, wow, I think a lot of people are actually struggling with this. And so I want to put some resources out there. So anyway, in this book, Russ Harris describes this little vignette of uh, it's like, a, I don't know, like a Eastern Asian monk or something out in the middle of nowhere talking to his little protege. And he says, um, I want you to take a handful of salt and put it in this bowl. 
And so he does, and then he tells the kid to drink it, and then he asks them, how does it taste? And he's like, oh, it's very salty. And he says, okay, take that same amount of salt, a handful of salt, and then go drop it in that lake over there, or that something like that lake. And he does, and he said, now taste it. He takes a sip or a, whatever, a taste of the water. He said, how does it taste? And he's like, oh, it's fresh, it's cool. And he says, what's the difference? It's the same amount of salt, but the vessel it's in is so much bigger uh, in the lake than it is in this small bowl. And so the analogy there with act, a lot of times is when you can open up space from this tiny bowl of like, I shouldn't be thinking this way, or there's something wrong with me, these feelings are bad. When you open up space to the size of a lake and you say, no, this is the full range of human emotions and experiences, it's okay that this is here, this handful of salt is here. All of a sudden, you have a completely new perspective on your life and your situation, and you can think differently, feel differently, and now begin to behave differently because you can make different choices moving forward. So ACT is a really powerful, practical approach um, that f I think for a lot of people who are having uh, functional issues in their life, meaning like, I'm stuck, I can't do this, I need to do this, and I find myself, you know, sabotaging myself or whatever. If I mean, there might be some deeper issues that something like a psychodynamic approach could be helpful or an IFS approach could be helpful for. But if you're really just looking to get unstuck practically and look at some of those feelings and how they might be keeping you stuck so that you can make more space to practically move forward, then ACT is going to be a great approach for you. Yeah, and that kind of allows us to turn a bit towards the intervention side of things. But in doing so, I think as you may be hearing all of this, and if you've listened to this whole series and you're now listening to the just wrap the series up, it may occur to you that like, wow, you know, these theories are kind of different ways to do the same thing in a lot of ways, because we're all humans, right? But what's happened is, is that folks that have been trying to help other humans have been trying to figure out how to help people shift, how to help them, like, quite frankly, be healed from whatever the malady is from a mental standpoint. And so there's been all these things that we've been talking about that have developed over years of people realizing, like, if we can attack it this way, hit this way, do this type of thing, then we're going to be able to help people move. And therein lies the piece of this with intervention. The difference with an intervention is, and Aaron and I were talking about this um, before we started, to try to explain this in a, like a simple way. If like we we're doing therapy with somebody and we're working hard to try to help them with depression, they've tried stuff, they're trying all this, you know, whatever it happens to be. The intervention that we might suggest they do is go to their doctor and see about getting an antidepressant medication. So the medication would be an intervention. It would be, we're not going to sit there and talk about this intervention. They go out somewhere else. They go take, now that before they even see us, they take the medication in the morning. And then we are going to partner with that therapeutically and try to do essentially the exact same thing. But now, because their mind is maybe in a different space chemically, they'll be able to respond differently. I think you might have had something to add to that, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, too, uh, when we were talking about the doctor example, that, I mean, there's lots of different interventions, things you can do. Sometimes I've had a few different instances where I'm working with somebody and we're trying these things, even trying medication. And then they're like, no, I think there's something like, like physically or medically wrong with me. 
And so then they, they go in for an X-ray or an MRI or something like that. And that intervention, that other thing, reveals something else like, oh, I have an issue in my thyroid or, um, you know, I've got some sort of a, a chemical issue that needs to be addressed. So from an intervention standpoint, what we're saying then is, uh, or I should say, from your perspective as a client, if you're going to therapy, you know, you go to your therapist's office and you talk and then you go home and you think about stuff and maybe you do homework and then you go into their office next week and you do the same thing. And then all of a sudden, if there's a one intervention like a medication, now you're going to your doctor's office. Like that's different. You're getting medication. That's different. Or if you're going to your uh, some specialist's office um, for a surgery or for an x-ray, that is different. Like, wait, before I was sitting on the couch and talking to you, and now I'm, like, being shoved into a box, and some machine is, like, taking a scan of my body. Like, that's different. And that's okay because the intervention is meant to achieve something different than the talk therapy is. So I, I guess just wanting to highlight from your uh, experience as a client that... It, it will feel like it's a shift to move from one of these, um, like, general, like, especially if you're doing Rogerian, you know, he's very present with you, and then all of a sudden you're doing something really practical like ACT, you're all of a sudden the therapist is present with you, but now they're, like, pushing you into action. That's going to be the, and feel very different than what just a base humanistic experience is going to be like. So what we decided to, to look at is there are several interventions that in the therapy community as therapists we are familiar with and i know that there's therapists that listen and you may have you may be you may have heard of it but you honestly just didn't care because it's like ah whatever because some of these interventions take a bit they take a while to learn um it's not like that simple and if you're not that interested you don't really get it and it seems like hocus pocus as a therapist then you just don't listen um you don't want to look it up but i would i'm going to argue that these interventions can be significantly reparative and quickly um, for folks especially struggling with anxiety, trauma, and depression. Um, and I want to say one more thing about that. Part of, part of why, um, you, you know, you guys that are more like the normal people besides this therapist might be like, why would somebody not go learn something like what you're talking about? Well, the reality is, is that when you hear, um, yeah, I did EMDR and like I'm better. It's totally fine now. Like, as a scientist therapist, you're like, okay, well, that's placebo. Like, that's there's you that didn't happen. Like, you're not like, I don't know what crackpot that you sat with that did this EMDR. Like, oh, so what'd you do? Well, he put his fingers out about 18 inches away and moved them back and forth, and my eyes moved, and now I'm better. Like, <laughs> <Right>. like uh, now. <laughs> yeah, talk about destigmatizing mental health. Like, uh, that's not helping. <laughs> right, not, not at all. And they don't, I say it like that because that's how things started. But and, and we don't really have time to go into the, the genesis and origin story of all these. We really want you to know kind of what they do, what they're like, and... Um, how they seem to be helpful. And a lot of these, when, the, when intervention-wise, except for with the exception of probably somatic experiencing, and I would say mm, probably neurofeedback, because we're going to go over EMDR, somatic experiencing, brain spotting, neurofeedback, and emotionally focused tapping, or EFT. With the exception of those, these are kind of straightforward and um, and they all kind of come from actually, they, to be honest, they kind of come from a similar perspective because 
a lot of this all stems from our understanding of neuroscience. So theoretically, we have theories about stuff of why this works, but we don't totally know. EMDR, there's some theories about like, this is why it works. It's like, we might find out one day that it's not quite like that, but it was a dang good explanation. Yeah, in neurofeedback or um, neuroscience, just is like the the study of like your neurons, your brain, like what's happening, kind of on that neuron level. And you know, when you, it, it's it is true, it's interesting. We don't for a lot of these things, we don't exactly know how it's happening. We've got some tools um, to study that stuff, and there's a lot of research that's being done about it to, in order to understand how it's happening. But what's clear is that we know that it works. So we don't necessarily know why or how it's happening, but we just know that it's effective. And so we want to present this as a tool for you out there so that you know what tools are available in case this resonates with you or if you've got an issue and you're like, oh, I think I might want to try that in my area. Yeah, so I think if we start off with with the basics, um, which I think if you've been listening to this podcast for, well, since we've been doing it, some of this is going to be familiar. And if you haven't been listening, now's a great time to start. (laughs) So we have a nervous system, right? And it's divided essentially into two trunks. And I'm not going to totally be able to go into all this, but I need to say enough of it to you. So this will make sense of why, why these interventions are even, quite frankly, a thing. We have our parasympathetic part of our nervous system and our sympathetic part of our nervous system. So it's the brake and the gas pedal, right? And so... What, what these interventions end up capitalizing on is the way that our body responds to depression and anxiety, and then the intensity of those would be, how, would be called a traumatic response. Like, we all can kind of get a little anxious and depressed, but if you inflate those just huge, your body, your body overloads, the, that system overloads, your nervous system does, and then you have like this massive traumatic response. Yeah, think about it like having maybe a um, tall cup of coffee. You know, you go to Starbucks or something and you order a tall versus a venti with quad shot. Like, okay, that's gigantic and you're having like four times the amount of espresso as opposed to just the one. All of a sudden, you're like really jittery and like that's like the, literally like the dose of chemicals that are happening in your brain to give you that traumatic Response. The other side of that coin is you can get so anxious and overwhelmed that you are essentially depressed laying on the couch and you're not going to get up and you have no, you're totally numb and totally done. And essentially what happens if we start off with EMDR, we do know quite a bit about that. I'll say that Francine Shapiro invented it, essentially. she, I think she might say she discovered it, but she did actually put it together. And how she figured this out was she was grieving in a garden, and she noticed that while she was grieving, her eyes were moving back and forth quite a bit. So she thought that was weird. As therapists, we are way too we are way too understanding of our bodies, quite frankly. This is also why a lot of therapists will wear really loose clothing and flip-flops, just so you know. <laughs> oh, you're justifying. Go ahead, please, give us an explanation. <laughs> Don't do your little justification therapy. <laughs> anyway, so, so she's aware of this, right? And then she starts noticing that some of the clients that she has that should be emotional are not in situations, and she also notices that their eyes are not moving. So long story short, she starts trying to take, like kind of, for lack of a better word, force people, like by just saying, hey, follow my finger, moving their eyes. And she, just out of, 
you know, kind of a theory that like, well, maybe this will help. And she notices a marked difference, like a huge, huge difference in what, how people are doing. Nobody believes her, of course. Uh, the science community is like, oh, yeah, just move. Your, yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's true. It's, I mean, imagine Obi-Wan Kenobi with his, like, these aren't the droids you're looking for, back and f- like moving his fingers back and forth. That's essentially what's happening. <laughs> a little bit frou frou yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't. She did a very good job, though, of making everything reproducible, like right. putting it into a scientific formula so that other people could try it. So they thought originally that it had to do with REM sleep, the rapid eye movement. If you've ever seen somebody like with, that's asleep and you've watched them creepily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's creepy to be watching somebody sleeping. <laughs> and also to be watching somebody in REM sleep is creepy because their eyes are like creepily moving back and forth. And you're like, whoa, are you possessed? <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Anyway, so basically they, they thought that, but they found out later that's not really what it is. The theory that's current... Because what happened was the scientists were like, oh, we don't necessarily know if it's the eyes. Let's try this. And so what they did is have people sit, like, for example, on a couch, and then a person got behind them and then clicked their fingers on each side of their ears, left and right, kind of randomly. And it worked. It did the same thing. So then they thought, well, what if we touched their, like, sat across from them and then tapped on their knees? And that worked. So then they were like, oh, okay. The brain has two hemispheres, right, left and right. And so the current theory of how this, why this does this is because it is forcing the information. So when you get traumatized, it kind of gets stuck in one spot of your brain. And then every time your brain tries to reference that information, it gets kicked back out because it's terrifying. So like, let me think about that again. No, I can't. (laughs) As my son would say, "Mm, we don't talk about it. Every time you're like, oh, let's, let's deal with this trauma now. No, we don't talk about it. It's not happening. So what EMDR does is essentially because it's stimulating both hemispheres of your brain, and I'm skipping a lot here, it's distracting. It's distracting you. So, like, your brain wants to organize data. It wants to understand. And it keeps trying, which is why you keep freaking out. And every time that you might see something that randomly reminds you of whatever that trauma was, your brain goes, oh, I saw something like that before. Oh, crap. (laughs) We don't talk about it. (laughs) So so, this is the part of EMDR I actually don't like as a therapist because I I did this to help people. But you literally as a therapist have to go, what's the worst thing that's ever (laughs) happened in your life? Let's focus on that (laughs) right right there. And then... We put these, we have you in your hands because of the fact that we don't need to do the eye thing. We have this thing, which honestly, the name is just, I don't like the name, but it's called a Theratapper. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Some therapist invented, oh, it's a tapper. It goes back and forth. And it's a therapist, Theratapper. That's a great name. <laughs> it's like we're tapping your little hands with our little thera, thera machine. <laughs> But also, I should say, there are, you can do auditory as well. Like, because of COVID, I've had to do this remotely with people. And you can put in earbuds and uh, you can listen to things where, uh, like, if you go to, there's some YouTube videos out there that'll do like EMDR, bilateral stimulation stuff, where it goes in your right ear and then it switches over to your left ear. Normally, that's kind of a creepy experience. But um, when you hear a sound moving back and forth, it's actually simulating the same thing. So it's also auditory as well. Right, yeah. Um, and that gets back to that finger clicking thing I was talking about. And they also do visual. They'll, do, they'll, put on, they'll yeah. do flashing lights the left, lights. right. 
right now they're doing a lot more simultaneous distraction type of things like with auditory and also holding these things in your hands but and also the lights those things in your hands are these little green paddles that vibrate about the same as your cell phone and essentially they just go on and we adjust the speed and that kind of thing as therapists we basically get out of your way so we we trigger this nasty thought which i hate <laughs> and then we and then we abandon you <laughs> <laughs> have a good day enjoy the ride hope you have fun figuring it out <laughs> <laughs> right and then we and then turn on the little machine and it's going you know and we just check in with you momentarily because the tr- the factor is is you just need to process that data because one thing that's true about trauma and this applies to all these interventions is that your body is responding currently to a historical event. So it's a way that your body, your body thinks that that car wreck you got into three months ago is happening now, and you're sitting on a freaking couch watching your TV, (laughs) so it can't be. So what happens is essentially with EMDR and these other therapies is they reconnect your head to your body. Yeah, and another way I always like to describe it as well, I mean, Bessel van der Kolk, like the leading international trauma researcher, wrote a book that's fantastic called The Body Keeps the Score. And I love that phrase because that's essentially what's happened in your car accident example. Even, I mean, I worked with a lady that was in a car accident um, 20 years ago or so, and um, then she was in another one that happened, and it just triggered everything from 20 years ago. And so it's like this thing that happens, your body is holding on to your brain, your emotions, even though you might not be thinking about it. In fact, you're purposefully not thinking about it, trying not to deal with it. And you might think you're over it. Um, you're, you're not. People who know you are like, yeah, we just don't bring up the subject around this person or whatever. They get a little bit skittish when we talk about those kinds of things. But, you know, for the most part, they're fine. But your body is holding it in. So essentially what what these with this intervention is trying to do is to help release all of that from you out of your body out of your emotions out of your brain so that you can be free of it and it's now it's just information it's like something that happened that's no longer plaguing you in your body in your experiences it can't come up and shoot up in that same intensity because you've processed it right so in emdr specifically it's helping your helping your mind process that data. And what happens, you can have a variety of things happen. I had one person years ago, all of a sudden, I mean, they're just sitting there on the couch and all of a sudden slip, like crash over into the fetal position, holding themselves. They looked like they were literally a, a baby, for lack of a better word to say it. And they were weeping, absolutely weeping. And then just as fast as that happened, they sat up, rubbed their eyes, and they go, why did I do that? What is going on? It creeped them out. But the theory behind that would be that there would be a neuron trunk, so we have neurons in our brain, that just got accessed and stored all that energy and emotion in one spot, and it had not been processed. So essentially, it got processed. It was like, processing, and this happened, and then it was gone. And he was pretty much done. Like, um, there was no reason in the next session to do EMDR. In this way, to circle back, this is kind of, as therapists, what we're talking about when we talk about interventions and theories, because we're talking about you with depression, then we realize your head's not really connected to your body with this. I mean, you're kind of like disconnecting all the time. And then we start going through our mind, like, what kind of intervention would help this so we can get back on track? 
and and that's kind of what an EMDR thing is. There's a lot of information there, and there's actually a whole lot more to come in the other part of this episode. We're going to break this into two parts, so stay tuned next time on the next episode for the remainder of this episode of the, the closing in our series on the different types of therapy. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. 